If, you, if you're new here, you wouldn't know. We didn't have service on Christmas Day because it was a Sunday. Um, and man, do we miss you guys. It's so good to see you guys. It's like a reunion, even though it's only been a few weeks. But we just love you guys and are so thankful for all of you. And as we celebrate this new season together, so grateful. And so today what I wanted to do is something just a little different, given the fact that uh, it is a special day for a whole bunch of reasons, but one I have already mentioned that we're completely self-sufficient today as a church, and I already kind of said this, but essentially all this means is that we have our own charitable status. We're still Catch the Fire, of course. We're still part of the Catch the Fire family, um, but <clears throat> the, technically all that means is we have our own board of directors and we're our own charity, recognized by uh, uh, the CRA, and so... <clears throat> That's awesome because, uh, well, I mean, really, for all intents and purposes, it doesn't change much, <laughs> but it does in some ways, and I believe it does in the spirit. God has given us this um, specific mandate and calling as a church in this region, and so Catch the Fire uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this today. Catch the fires of movement. We have certain things that God has graced us with that he's called us to as a movement. But he's also given us a unique calling as a church. What he wants to do in this region through Catch the Fire Ottawa. And so I want to talk a little bit about that uh, today. So the question I, I wanted to ask is who are we? Who are we as a church, as a movement? And in all honesty, I've realized that you can't take things for granted. Meaning... Um, there's certain presuppositions and assumptions we have, assuming everybody just is on the same page with everything. And then, I, you know, you, sometimes you realize, oh, that's not the case. You know, like, not everybody knows what the charismatic movement is, for instance. And I found that out at Christmas. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to someone who grew up Pentecostal, and I was trying to explain what Catch the Fire is. And so my tendency is to go historically what that means so then I, I was like, well, have you ever heard of the charismatic movement? Because I was going to get through the history. And he was like, the charismatic movement? I was like, oh, you don't know. Like, I, you know, I just assumed everyone kind of knew what that was. And then you realize, no, that's not true. Not everybody understands and, re, you know, or knows about what happened historically with the move of the Spirit and so forth. And so I wanted to do a few things today, realizing uh, that I probably won't get through everything. And so we'll see what happens. Uh, we could always maybe put a pause button continue next week if we don't get through it, but we'll see. But what I wanted to do is, I already kind of mentioned this, we're part of a larger Catch the Fire family. We have the same values, same DNA, right? And so um, Catch the Fire Ottawa is, the unique, is a unique expression based on God's specific calling for us. And so who are we as a church? That's a good question to ask. It's a good question to continually ask because the Holy Spirit's always doing something new. Right Now, with that being said, there are certain things that are foundational, I believe, that he's called us to in this specific region, right? We're all part of the body of Christ. We're all working together to build God's kingdom, but there's something unique that God has for us as a church. And so what is that? What, what are we? So no, a big part of knowing who we are is knowing our history, knowing where we've come from as a movement, as a church. And so God willing, <laughs> I'm going to try and give a succinct, a succinct brief overview of our history as a movement. Um, now, of course, you could go all the way back to Jesus Christ. So there's a certain, you know, you have to make some decisions. How far back are we going to go? 
And I thought it would be useful to talk, go back to the 60s. <laughs> Before I was born. Okay. Because we can trace our roots to a movement, to a few movements, but to a movement that happened in the 1960s called the Jesus Movement. How many of you have heard the Jesus Movement? Yeah, most of us, good. So I don't have to talk about this too long. But if you don't know what the Jesus Movement was, it, it essentially started in, on the West Coast in California in the late 60s, early 70s, right on the back of the charismatic movement, and a whole bunch of hippies got saved, essentially. And it was awesome. In fact, they estimate that about 3 million people got saved. And 85,000 through one individual named Lonnie Frisbee. How many of you have heard of Lonnie Frisbee? You should look this guy up. This guy, no one, not, not very, like you know, only Tr Trisha knew who he was. He was the main, cat oh, and Pierre, catalyst, honestly, not only of the Jesus movement, he helped start the Calvary Chapel movement and the Vineyard movement. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, he fell later in his life, and so he kind of, in some ways, got erased from history, the history, which is sad. Uh, it's another story for another day. But this guy was amazing. He was a hippie preacher, like real hippie, got saved, and then he went to, how many of you heard of Calvary Chapel, actually? You know, I, yeah, until I went to California, well, I hadn't really until I actually saw a documentary on Lonnie Frisbee. Went to California. It's, now, if you haven't heard of it, you've been influenced by it, okay? And I'll tell you why in a minute. Actually, I'll tell you now. What happened is Chuck Smith, he was uh, the leader of this small church. I mean, bigger than ours, but relatively small. And he saw all these hippies walking by. He was in Costa Mesa, California, and kind of was, who are these hippies, you know, not really a fan of the hippies. And God spoke to him that, no, I, I have a heart for these people, and I want you to reach them. And then he met this man named Lonnie Frisbee. And Lonnie was saving all these people. Like, it was like a grace. Like, he would just, there are stories, people would just stand up on a bench on a beach and say, God loves you, come to God, and all these people would just come and get saved. And, and in Time Magazine, on the last, you, uh, if you go back one just quick, Jennifer, that was an actual edition of Time Magazine, 1972, I believe, the Jesus Revolution, talking all about the Jesus movement, Lonnie Frisbee, um, you can actually read online if you want, just if you Google that. But look at that trippy <laughs> Time magazine cover. Like, come on. When do you ever see that these days? That's funny. But anyway, um, big deal. And you can look, find all this on the Internet. But anyway, be succinct, David. Be succinct. Okay. One of the things that um, really, rev the reason we all, even if we haven't heard of Calvary Chapel, would all know of it, they... That movement, and Calvary Chapel in particular, exploded after this, and then it started as a movement planting churches all over the place, especially California. How many of you heard of Mar uh, Maranatha music? Yeah, Calvary Chapel. The reason the Jesus movement was so influential and actually impacted the whole entire world is because what we know now as contemporary Christian music came out of the Jesus movement. So all these hippies are getting saved and playing the, you know, contemporary folk, whatever. A lot of churches had a problem with it, but Calvary Chapel embraced it, and it revolutionized Christian music. And, and if you ever heard of CCM, you know, we have to get a license for that to, to use all this music. 
that comes directly from the Jesus movement, Calvary Chapel. Now, another reason they're super popular and well-known, Calvary Chapel, um, online, there's a, uh, they have a, you know, a Bible gateway? There's another really popular one that we've probably all seen. It's light blue in the background. I forget. It's Bible.cc, I think. .cc means Calvary Chapel. So they're really into the Bible, really integral part of the Jesus movement. Why am I talking about this? Because if you didn't know, we were a vineyard church. Not we, but catch the fire. Airport. How many of you knew that? Most of us. Okay. The vineyard movement actually was a Calvary Chapel church. Vineyard was a part of Calvary Chapel at the beginning stages of uh, the movement. So what happened... Uh, where am I here? Yeah, okay, that's a good slide to be on. What happened is John Wimber was a Quaker. John Wimber, if you don't know, was the guy who's the leader of the Vineyard Movement. And if you don't, you guys know what Quakers are? Yeah, okay, conservative evangelicals. But they actually historically were a revival movement. They called them Quakers because they got blasted in the Holy Ghost and quaked, just like in Toronto. In fact, so, so they, so it's true. And you know what's funny? We could actually go back to the Quakers. John and Carol Wimber actually attribute to the Holy Spirit moving in the vineyard like he did with manifestations because the, the Quaker movement, they blessed them to leave. They actually left with their blessing, joined Calvary Chapel because John and Carol Wimber started getting into the things of the Spirit and the Quakers didn't really have a grid for it, blessed them to leave, and they started a church, ended up being part of the Calvary Chapel movement. Now, the unfortunate thing is history tends to repeat itself. That church, um, Calvary, because John Wimber was really into the things of the Spirit, Specifically, he really got into this revelation of ministry of the Holy Spirit. Signs, wonders, miracles, right? And um, because it was what, how, I'm trying to be short and I'm like, I'm going on here, but this is important. John Wimber, what he did, he got a revelation that we're not only supposed to be hearers of the word, but doers. Specifically, with miracles, signs, and wonders. That's what we're called to, okay, as believers. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. He got this revelation, and so he actually was a church growth expert, John Wimber. And he, became, he actually started teaching at Fuller Seminary, a really well-known seminary in California, under Peter Wagner. And he started a course that's one of the most famous courses uh, of any seminary called MC510 which was signs and wonders in church growth. Because he saw that there was a direct correlation in the Bible. If you look at the Bible, that's how they operated. Jesus too. Anytime there were salvations, it was preach the word, miracle signs and wonders, a whole bunch of people get saved. And he's like, wait, this, wait a minute. This isn't just one isolated thing. This is like the, what they do. And so he's like, we got to get back to biblical Christianity. So what he would do is he would teach on this. Then he would get people to come up and show he would actually display, so he would pray for, like what we do to Pierre, bring people up, have clinics, and people would actually get equipped to heal people. One of the ways John Wimber really influenced the world, uh, there's a lot of ways, but one of them was the five-step prayer model that we all use, use modified versions of it. He taught people how to heal the sick. Practically, he was really practical, and it was great. So this um, course really exploded, 
got super popular. In fact, as you could imagine, was controversial with some seminary professors. Fuller ended up after a few years asking him to stop teaching it because it's like, well, the ministry of the Holy Spirit should be in the church. Uh, seminary should just be the theoretical stuff. And so ended up asking him to leave, unfortunately. But in some ways, maybe fortunate because that served as a catalyst of John Wimber taking that to the road, starting vineyard conferences in the 80s that exploded and ended up having international impact. So maybe it was a blessing in disguise. But back to what I was saying about Calvary Chapel, because it was Wimber took it to the front in front of everybody, the Calvary Chapel sort of had a philosophy that the Holy Spirit should be in the side room. Uh, they, Chuck Smith, who was the head of Calvary Chapel, was part of the Foursquare movement. And if you don't know Amy Simple, McPherson actually did that. She would have kind of afterglow, Holy Spirit was to the side because, you know, she didn't want the weird, good weird stuff to freak people out. And so he, that was sort of like Holy Spirit should be afterglow, side room. And Wimber took it to the forefront of the church. And so it was kind of a friendly thing at first. The vineyard was started by Ken Gullickson. doesn't really matter other than to say, Chuck Smith said, Wimber, maybe you want to be part of this vineyard part of our Calvary Chapel. And then because of the emphasis of the Holy Spirit, they ended up having to go their own ways. Okay, so vineyard became its own thing. Started having um, uh, conferences. People from all over the world were impacted by what the vineyard was doing. Now, one of the things that uh, also the vineyard is known for and that really had an impact on the church was worship music. We already kind of talked about how many of you remember worship vineyard from 80s, 90s especially? I still listen to it. I mean, come on, super anointed, totally impacted contemporary worship. And, and that's what the vineyard was all about, worship, intimacy, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, everybody doing the stuff. That was John Wimber's heart. We're supposed to equip people to do this stuff so that everyone, not just the man in front that does everything, or woman, but everybody gets to play, he used to say, right? And so he, now, I'm sorry, Jennifer, am I staying with this? I don't even know. Um, maybe skip to the next one. Thank you, Jennifer, who's doing PowerPoint. She's amazing. Um, yeah, worship. Yeah, one, th one distinctive of vineyard worship that we all know is that really impacted so many people is that they sang to God, not about God. Now they sang about God too, but that's what impacted so many people. It's like, man, it was all about intimacies, singing one-on-one -on -one to God. We love you, Lord, you know? And, and it became about intimacy with the Lord. And worship was just revolutionized. I mean, come on. So, um, and church renewal. Equipping the saints. If you go to the next slide, Jennifer, actually. So much so that uh, historians, particularly Peter Wagner, if you've heard of him, call what happened in the 80s the third wave movement. Because it had such, it was such a spirit movement. It had such an impact on the worldwide church, particularly conservative evangelicals. So why is it called third wave? Because the first wave was the Pentecostal revival, 1906. And then the second wave was the charismatic movement. And then they called it the third wave because that was the third major move of the Holy Spirit in the 19th century. But it literally went viral, impacted millions worldwide, especially conservative evangelicals. Because you have to remember, John Wimber 
was a conservative evangelical, Quaker, teaching at Fuller, right? He came from that background. And so he could relate to people who had a problem with the Holy Spirit, because he did for years. If you don't know this, he had a big problem. Now, I'm, <laughs> I'll say this. I mentioned Lonnie Frisbee. What happened is in 1980, John Wimber reluctantly invited him to speak at his vineyard church. And how many of you heard this story? No? Okay. So this hippie preacher comes, it's Mother's Day, and the Lord tells John Wimber to invite this guy, Lonnie Frisbee. And he's really controversial, right? And John's like, no, no, no. And the Lord's like, yeah. So he invites him. And Lonnie gets up, kind of shares his testimony. Then, he, then at the end, he says, you guys have grieved the Holy Spirit, but that's okay. He forgives you. Now, I'm going to invite him to come. Now, how many come Holy Spirit? That, that comes from this incident. Come Holy Spirit. Or actually, he invited everyone under 25 to come, and there was hundreds. Come Holy Spirit, and they got blasted. Like, you know what I'm talking about if you've seen it. All over the ground, blasted, shaking, speaking in tongues. Now, you have to remember, this is a relatively conservative church, a lot of conservative evangelicals, and they had no grid for this. And Wimber was offended. He, in fact, he stayed up all night wrestling to God with this because he didn't like it. He's like, what is this all about? And God, <laughs> I'm getting too much into this. But anyway, emergency board meeting, as you can imagine. <laughs> but... <laughs> But thank God, Wimber went with the Spirit. And you know what? When he was traveling, Lonnie Frisbee was his right-hand man, along with Blaine Cook. And, and Wimber would preach. Lonnie and Blaine Cook would do the stuff, demonstrating it. And, and if you know anything about the Vineyard Movement in the 80s, it was hot. I mean, you can actually, I recommend this. If you go on YouTube and, and YouTube John Wimber, Miracles, Signs, and Wonders, they have the whole MC510 on YouTube, from 85, I think. Yeah, and you can watch it all. It's great. And what they do is he, you can see the whole teaching, and then they have clinics. So they do the stuff. People coming out of wheelchairs, amazing. Amazing. Now, why am I telling you all this? Well, like I already said earlier, John and Carol Arnett were part of the vineyard <laughs> in the 80s. They joined the vineyard. Now, they had a church in Stratford that I actually attended for a few years when I was a grad student at Waterloo. But they planted that church. That was a vineyard. Then they planted the airport church in Toronto, which was a vineyard in 88. And so, honestly, a lot of what I'm talking about and the reason I'm saying this is still part of our DNA. This is our history. Now, we're not a vineyard anymore. The fact of the matter is a lot of our values, the things we do, the things we value come from our history Right, this, of, our, of the spirit movement that we can trace our roots back to. Now, <clears throat> yes, okay, 1988. So, unfortunately, <laughs> we were a vineyard. Actually, I'll say, no, I'm saying that later. After the, yeah. Oh, what I was going to say is unfortunately we separated. That's what I'm talking about now. Look at that cute grape straight from 94. Do you see that? Toronto Airport Vineyard in this grape getting soaking in the glory there. Isn't that classic? I got that from Dan Slade. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, the, now, if you know, the revival happened in 94. Most of you know about, yeah, most of you know about the revival in the 90s? Yeah. And unfortunately, it, just short of two years into the revival, um, we separated from the vineyard. Ironically, because of the emphasis of the Holy Spirit. You guys remember what happened with Calvary Chapel and actually with the Quaker movement? Now, why I'm saying this is history repeats itself. That's why it's so important for us to know our history. You know, because like the tragic irony of this is the vineyard basically, Wimber got, you know, whatever in the Calvary Chapel because of their emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Then, you know, the revival happens in the 90s and, the, and then history repeats itself and we um, are no longer vineyard after a couple of years. Now, John Wimber actually, apparently two weeks before he died, said that's, he regretted that. Uh, he told people that. And so it was, you know, you have to have sympathy. He had cancer for, since 93. His son had cancer at the time. So Wimber was really going through a tough time in his life uh, when that all happened. But um, thank God for John and Carol, aren't it? Okay? Because they did not. They unashamedly let the Holy Spirit just have complete control unashamedly let the Lord do whatever you wanted to do, okay? And that is commendable. I cannot even relate to having the whole world essentially uh, attacking you, saying it's of the devil. In fact, oh, I won't say that. Some major people said it, scary stuff, really, because it was the Lord, and um, they didn't budge. They didn't buckle under the pressure and that is amazing. And I am just so proud to be uh, part of the, the movement that the Lord used them uh, to start because we are all about letting the Holy Spirit have his way. And we are no better than our predecessors, so we have to be careful. We do not reject the next move of God. And you guys who've been here for a while know I've said this a lot of times, but... We're no better than John Wimber. We're no better than Chuck Smith. We're no better than every single revival rejecting the next move of God. So knowing our history is important so that we can be where, and if God decides to move in a way that's totally outside of our box, we can be like, wait a minute. We are not going to give in to our tendency for whatever reason to reject this, even though it's different than what we expect, because we want the Holy Spirit to have his way completely no matter what it looks like, don't we? Yes. <laughs> now, that's partly why I went over this history, but the main reason I wanted, and again, I'm trying to be short, the, even though we're no longer part of the vineyard, or of course the Jesus movement, all this, a lot of this stuff, we can learn about our spiritual DNA from looking at the past. Because this stuff that I'm talking about, a lot of the stuff that the Spirit emphasized during the third wave and the Jesus movement is still a part of who we are. And inevitably, it's going to come out. <laughs> and what we do, how we think, because, right, that's what we signed up for. That's what John and Carol Arnett signed up for in the 80s, was what the Holy Spirit was emphasizing in the vineyard. And in fact, if you look at our fire valleys, can you go to the next slide? Some of our fire valleys still are influenced from the vineyard, especially, especially the E value, but I'll get to that in a minute. These, we could talk about a lot of things, but I just chose five things that are still part of our DNA that you could arguably say is rooted in our history as a movement. First, worship music. We have a tremendously high value for worship music in Catch the Fire. 
that goes all the way back to the Jesus movement. <laughs> I mean, right? And the vineyard. And, and like, that's just what we, we have a high value for worship. And that's why we don't mind going 45 minutes to an hour and longer, God willing, um, because that's what we love to do. That's what we signed up for. Two, church renewal. Now, when I say church renewal, I'm talking about equipping the saints, empowering the saints, meaning all of us, to do the work of the ministry. That's really what God was breathing on in the 80s with the Vineyard Movement, and that's what impacted so many people internationally, is especially conservative evangelicals who could relate to John Wimber, who had a problem with it, told his testimony, and said, now I understand, and, and he was so relatable that people jumped on board. A lot of conservative evangelicals who rejected the Holy Spirit were like, this is true, and you know, totally signed up for it. Millions of people impacted. Our, if you know our f fire values, I'll get to that in a minute, E is extending the kingdom through equipping, anointing, and empowering of the Holy Spirit. How many of you can <laughs> see the, re the relationship there? That comes from the vineyard. That, that really comes from the vineyard. And in fact, if you read the book From Here to the Nations, you can see how John and Carol were influenced in the 80s with the four values. And that's why we have such a strong value for that specifically is because that traditionally is where we come from historically. The third thing, hmm, here we go, the prophetic. The prophetic. How many of you remember the Kansas City Prophets? <laughs> the prophetic movement in the 1980s. Now, all of us have been influenced by this, whether we know it or not, because before that happened, prophecy was pretty, quote-unquote, rare. You had one or two people who were itinerants, thus saith the Lord, old, sorry, not old school, whatever. It was a certain thing, and, not, and, and, and it was just like we, the people, watched the prophet do the stuff. Then what happened is Bob Jones, Mike Bickle, Paul Kane, all these people came along who were legitimate genuine prophets. James Gall, we know all these people now still. Uh, Paul, uh, John Paul Jackson, all part of the Kansas City Prophets. It's a whole long story, and I, I got to refrain from getting into it, but they became part of the vineyard, went international because of that, and then prophecy became normal because they equipped everybody to do it. So now everyone prophesies, but, but back 30-whatever years ago, not normal. That's part of our DNA. That got totally implanted historically in the movement and then just became normal for us. Revival and renewal, of course. I mean, we all, I already talked about this, but the worldwide impact that the renewal, come on, if we're all, the revival happened. Now, Wimber wanted them to call it renewal for different reasons, but revival, that literally impacted millions of people, and still is. And that's where our movement comes from. Partners in Harvest, Catch the Fire. When we separated from Vineyard, we started the Partners in Harvest movement. That's, you know, 500 some churches worldwide who became a part of this. Um, and Dan Slate always says over 10,000, if you include Heidi's churches that she planted, because she considers herself Partners in Harvest. But this is part, I mean, really, historically, that was part of the vineyard, too. Renewal, really, Holy Spirit come, people really getting impacted. But really, this went to a whole nother level, quote, unquote, when it happened uniquely in the 90s in Catch the Fire. 
and church planting. That's why when I say that, the renewal and revival aspect, CTF, catch the fires into church planting all over the world to bring what God's doing in our movement to the world. We need to keep the wine flowing. We're bartenders. We got to keep the wine flowing. That's who we are is catch the fire. Now, what's interesting is that's what John Wimber was all about too. Two things, church renewal. They had a vineyard branch of church renewal and church planting. Now, those are just five things that I came up with. There's probably more. But look at our Catch the Fire values. Now, since there's some new people here, we actually did a whole three-month series on this last summer, going over each value in, in detail. But if you don't know, Catch the Fire, FIRE is an acronym for our four values. That really, uh, I, I, I have to restrain myself from going into detail, but in the 80s, the Lord implanted these values in John and Carol. And then when 94 happened, that's what the Holy Spirit, a lot of these is what he was emphasizing. So they already had a wineskin for it because of how the Lord was equipping them uh, to embrace it. But anyway, these are our four values. Experiencing God as Father, F. Intimacy, presence, and hearing God's voice, I. Restoration of the heart, inner healing, um, R. And E, extending the kingdom through the equipping, empowering, and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Really, like, you know, that's part of our DNA. And that's something that we all embrace as Catch the Fire churches. Okay, so that's a part of who we are as a movement. And who we are as a church because we're part of the movement. Now, I went through some history. But if you're interested in learning more about our history, we have this book here. From Here to the Nations. Um, Jerry Steingard wrote this uh, for our 20-year anniversary, and it just essentially gives a brief history, especially from 94 until now. And so if you're interested, we have this book um, for you, or if you want to buy it in the back. Also, <laughs> last year, my first message that I gave here when we became a weekly church was this uh, message, Our Prophetic History. Now, I didn't have time to go over this today, and that's why what I decided to do, and I, pr I probably won't have time to go through this whole message, but to, to restrain myself from going into too much detail, I'm like, I would, I'm just, you'll see, throwing up different uh, uh, sermons that you can download if you want more. Uh, so, so anyway, this, what I do here is going back to 83, 84, when the Bob Jones, uh, Paul Kane, Mike Bickle had different prophetic experiences that about what was going to happen in 94. And it's really interesting to know our prophetic history going back that far because God had what he did in 94 in his heart for years. And he has specific purposes for it, what he intended, why he did what he did, and all of that stuff. If you're interested, this is the link on the notes. So you can get these notes in our Joyful Tidings newsletter or on Facebook. So I'll just, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. ctfottawa.com. There's a podcast section. We're also on iTunes as well. Um, but yeah, the notes, you can email us and we'll, we'll send it to you if you'd like. Okay. Whew. I was trying to be short. I, I should have known better. But I'll see what I, what I get through and we'll do the rest maybe next week or something. Who are we? So what's the spirit saying to our movement now? That's a good question, isn't it? So what I wanted to say briefly is um, the leaders in Catch the Fire world got together um, around almost a late summer, early fall on the retreat, and we're asking the Lord, what are you saying to our movement? 
So if you don't know, the leaders of Catch the Fire world now are Duncan and Kate Smith, Stuart and Chloe Glasgow. I forget how to pronounce that right. Glassboro, I'm sorry. And um, Steve and Sandra Long. So they got together, and what are you saying to our movement? And they felt from Acts 13, 1 to 3, these are the three things we want to emphasize as a movement. Worship, prophetic, church planting. Now, I, don't, I doubt that they were thinking historically, but if you look at what I just went through with the history, it's not surprising. This is, you know, what we're still all about, some of these things that, you know, historically we, as a movement, have been about. So now... Catch the Fire is really emphasizing these two things, really going for it with worship, prophetic, church planting. And so that's what this, uh, the leaders of Catch the Fire are feeling uh, as a movement, what the Lord is emphasizing now. And you can read Acts 13, 1 to 3 on your own if you'd like. I was going to give it, but I have to move on. Who are we? Now, that was so history, movement. Who, what's the Lord saying now? I just gave like a one-second brief what the Holy Spirit's saying as a movement now. But who are we as a church? What's the Spirit saying to us as Catch the Fire Ottawa? Like I said, of course, we're Catch the Fire, same values and that sort of thing, but God has specific purposes for Ottawa. This church has been in the Lord's heart for years, and we want to steward what God has called us to steward, right? We want to do what he's called us to do. So what is the Lord saying to us, specifically in this region? Now, our church has some values and goals that are unique to us that the Lord's been placing on our hearts. Now, these values, I should say this, are not unique to us as a church, meaning um, a lot of churches are about these things. You'll see. It's not like we're uniquely uh, have these values or whatever. But, but, but what I want to say is there's, you know, there are major factors that influence our overall goals, decisions, and outward practices as a church. So, you know, there's just certain things that the Lord's placed on our heart as a church, and they influence the way we do things. They influence the decisions we make, how, you know, what we emphasize maybe on a Sunday and, and so forth. And what I want to say is, so what are some of these characteristics? Now, I came up with a list. Well, me and Trisha talked about it too, but I, I, I want to say this, not exhaustive, what I'm about to show you. Meaning, there, you could probably come up with a list of like, you know, 25 things, right? Um, but of course, you can't talk about 25 things on a Sunday. Well, you could, but not. <laughs> um, so these are just some. And I understand some of you might be like, well, wait, what about this? That's not on the list. And I'd probably say, I'd probably say, oh, yes and amen to that. You're right. That should be on the list. So no, you know what I mean? So uh, just to be aware, this isn't like exhaustive by any means. But these are definitely some things that we felt the Spirit saying. Now, Given the time, I'm, I'm clearly not going to be able to do what I wanted to do, which is to go into some detail in each of these. But I want to give you the list and see what happens. Maybe I'll go over one or two for now, but we'll see. So next slide, please. So these are the things we feel like the Spirit's saying to us as a church. First, and everything else essentially flows from our main priority, which is to be a resting place for the Lord. That's it. I mean... We are called, not just we, every single church are called to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 10, 11. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's talking to the congregation in Corinth. You have to understand, at that time, Corinth had 26 temples to, to pagan gods. And what Paul was saying is you, as a people, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Meaning he dwells in your midst. And that's what we're called to be, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. A place, a dwelling place for the Lord. Okay? 
And so what I'm, after that priority, and, and like I said, I was going to go into detail how we do that, but probably don't have time. We'll see. A community that highly values worship and prayer. Now, we already talked about our value for worship, but we have a high value for worship, and we want to be known as extravagant worshipers. And that's why we don't have a problem with going, you know, like I said, sometimes for an hour or whatever. And we have worship nights. That's why we have worship nights. We felt, you know, the Lord, it's the day of small beginnings, but the Lord has a special grace for worship on here, and we want to steward that as much as possible. And so we want to be uh, uh, known as a congregation that really values worship. Now, every church hopefully values worship. But do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, that's something that we put a high premium on and, and really want to, you know, steward that. Okay? And that's, yes. A community of people who fully embrace the word and the spirit. Unfortunately, there's this false dichotomy that gets pretty much every movement <laughs> in church history that Satan really, I think, tries to pit these against each other, the word or the spirit. And, and unfortunately, almost every spirit movement, revival, whatever you want to call it, starts off in the spirit that ends up going to the other side, which is dead orthodoxy. And then you're like, where did the Holy Spirit go, you know? That's why it's so important to embrace both fully, not one over the other, both completely, okay? A place where people come to encounter God in keeping with our history. I mean, you look at what, the God, did, what God did in Toronto. People from millions of people from all the world came, got rocked, encountered God, life-changing encounter, went back to their country, their church, their denomination, brought it back there. Now, there's a grace, because we're Catch the Fire, there's a grace on our church for that. You might notice we have special events, special speaker attendance doubles. People from all over the Ottawa region come from different churches because they want more, right? They want to encounter God. And that's just a part of who we are. That's, it's a privilege, really, that God has graced us with that emphasis, right? We're not called to be seeker-sensitive. We're called to be spirit-sensitive, that's not a prideful thing. It's just some churches have that calling to be more on that seeker-sensitive, the entry, if you will, to Christianity. And we tend to attract people who want more. How many of you are, came here because you want more? Like, yeah. Most people I talked to is like, yeah, I wanted more. Uh, love what Catch the Fire is offering, and this is the only church that's in this region. And so that's a privilege. And that really is just part of our DNA, and we thank God for that. Um, a people who live and walk by the Spirit. Um, and we'll, I'll just leave it at that and, and go more into that some other time because that's important. Um, but, okay. And a community of people who are diligently seeking and believing God for more. You know, I love Ruth's dream because more. There's more. There's always more. God is infinite. Inexhaustible uncomprehensible he's right so so no matter how much we've experienced there's always more how many of you saw randy clark or read randy clark's book there is more it's like his life message because there is more no matter how much you or i or anyone's experience there's always more always more and so we are going for it <laughs> 
right? We have to raise our expectations, believe in God for the more. And honestly, the reason we need to do that is to steward what he's called us to do, which is to equip people, to empower people, that people would come here, encounter God, life-changing encounter, bring it back to their denomination, their churches, whatever, because that's what God's called us to do. Part of our DNA. The only, you can only get a, give away what you've received, right? And so it's important as a people, because of the specific calling God's placed on us as Catch the Fire and as a church, that we go for it and that we have something to offer when people come. So, I'm going to do one, and then we'll stop. Because I, what I was, I, that's the list, and I knew, I made that list because I knew I, wouldn't, I probably wouldn't get through everything. But because this is our main priority, I want to at least go over this one, and then we'll stop. Our main priority is to be a resting place for the Lord in the Ottawa region. A resting place. God would want to come and show up. Ah, I love it. I kiss the fire out. That's what we want, right? That's what we want as a church. Okay? So above all else, we want to be known as a resting place for God, a people who are known for hosting his presence. Now, how? How do we do this is a good question. How do we do this? Fortunately, we have the word and the spirit. There's a really good scripture on this from Isaiah 66, 1 to 2. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you'll build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all things? And they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Those humility is a key for us. If we want to host the presence of God, that's where his resting place is. He's looking for a people who have these characteristics. Now, there's this awesome scripture twice in the New Testament quoting Proverbs 340 or 34. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Resist the proud. That's why pride is so deadly. And in all honesty, that's where the, the enemy uses pride and fear, those two things is what he uses to get the religious spirit into a church. If he can get you proud, even proud about good things, like how much I read the Bible or how much I'm praying and fasting, this is the strategy of the devil. The devil knows this verse more than most Christians because he knows if he can get us proud, God is going to resist us. Right? We cannot get proud about, ooh, we're catching the fire, look at us. Horrible. Do you know why God, in my opinion, used John and Carol White and Randy Clark? They are some of the most humble people you'll ever meet. They're so down to earth. Why did he use them to steward this international revival? Why did he pour out his grace upon them specifically? 
God gives grace to the humble. And I believe that's why he chose them, because they were humble enough to receive it and to not resist what God wanted to do and to embrace it no matter what. And that's amazing. So we need to, in like fashion, be humble and not get into pride. Rick Joyner says, I would rather have all the demons in hell resisting me than to have God resist me. That's true, isn't it? So... This, you'll notice, is, is throughout the New Testament. Humility is such an important characteristic as New Testament believers. And I want to show you just a couple talking about humility and community because that's I'm talking about hosting God's presence, being a resting place for God. And I just want to give you a couple exhortations from Scripture. Philippians 2, 1 to 5. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do, not, or do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he gives the most amazing, amazing portion of scripture about Jesus, how he humbled himself. I don't have the rest, but how he humbled himself, not seeking to be equivalent with God, but he basically gave his life as a ransom for many, and then God exalted him as a result. Humility. Jesus is our example. He's humble and contrite. Jesus is our example of what we're called to be. We need to steward that and be like that in order to be a resting place for God. Here's another scripture from Ephesians. And I just have a, <laughs> have a few, this whole portion of scripture is good, but I just wanted to show you something. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another with love. Super crucial, right? That we'd be known for our love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, then I fast forward, because this is all in context, but I just want to show you something. Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up, remember, putting according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is in the context of slant, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but remember, we're talking about being a hosting place for the Holy Spirit. This is what grieves him. We do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit, right? With whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, so then this is his exhortation. Get rid of all bitterness. This is why, right, inner healing is so important. Get rid of all bitterness. Rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Forgiveness. Okay, now, why I'm saying this is because this, right, in context is talking about how to live as a community in humility and what repels and grieves the Holy Spirit is when we talk bad about each other, when we tear each other down, when we slander people, that cannot take root in our church, okay? And thank God, thank God it hasn't, right? Thank God, to my knowledge. But we need to maintain this culture of humility is such a crucial key for being a hosting place of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I say here. In order to be a resting place for the Lord, we need to cultivate a culture of humility, right? Putting others above ourselves, doing for the sake of others, saying things that will build up, not tear down, love and honor. 
You know, honoring people, honoring the grace. No one's perfect. Honoring the grace that God's placed on somebody. Seeing them how God sees them, not how they really are, right? Calling out the gold in them. Because everyone has issues, but you don't, you don't focus on it. You, you try and get people, right, to what they're called to be. You see from a heavenly perspective what, how God sees them. Now, why, the, interestingly enough, and I talk about this in a lot of detail in that prophetic history sermon link that I had there. But in 1984, there was this whole encounter that Mike Bickle, audible voice of God, had with, and then Bob Jones had this vision and blah, blah, blah. But the vision was about the revival of wine that was going to happen in 10 years from then. That was the spring of 1984. And without going into all the details, you know what the Lord said? The reason that I am moving with wine of the, the wine of the Spirit is to produce humility in my children. What, what, was, what was, so in other words, that's one of the main reasons God moved with the wine of the Spirit like he did and is still moving and catch the fire to produce humility. This is a key for us, okay? That's why it's silly to get proud. <laughs> silly to get, I mean, in some ways, how can you get proud when you're uh, having silly manifestations? <laughs> you know what I mean? But anyway, to produce humility. So this is a key, a key for us to host the presence of God is to stay humble, to not get proud. Now, um, like I said, for my own sake, even though I did go in some detail, I have two sermons here that I talked about all on humility last year. So if you're interested, you can get these notes. This is one of them, the mantle of humility from last November, and then humility, the key to understanding truth. If you want to learn more about humility, the importance of it, um, go for it if you'd like. All right, I'll end there. Actually, Jen, can you, Jennifer, can you go to the very last slide? <laughs> I will say this. The theme, this would make a lot more sense if I went through everything. The theme of 2017. The very, oh, is that the very last slide? The, the purple one. Oh, that's good. That's okay. Thank you. The presence-driven life. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Let's pray. And you'll get more on that <clears throat> probably next week. We'll see. But thank you, Jesus. Okay. Let's pray. And then um, thank you for your patience. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you so much for your divine purposes that you have for us as a church. We thank you so much for how, where you've taken us to this point for all the amazing, wonderful people that you've led to this congregation, for all the amazing ways you've moved in our midst and the, and the things you've done in each and every one of our lives, the family you created here, God. We just thank you for that. We thank you for that. We thank you for our history. We thank you so much for uh, the amazing ways that you moved in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and, and up to now, that, that you've given us a context and a, and a wineskin and a glimpse of what it is you're emphasizing uh, in, our, in our movement, in our church, in our lives, and that you can give us understanding of who we are through that. And Lord, I just thank you so much for how far you've taken us as a movement. For, we're forever grateful for how you've moved in the 90s up until now and how you've impacted and changed our lives through the moving of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be a people who exalt your name, a people who are completely humble and gentle, who, who can relate to one another in this context with humility and kindness that we'd build each other up and not tear each other down, but that we would be a resting place for you. Help us to keep that our main priority. 
And Father, we just thank you so much for all you're doing and all you're going to do this year and for the rest of our lives until Jesus returns, the rest of our existence as a church. So we just thank you so much, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.